chapter 14, John chapter 14. Members, if you would look around you and see if there is a neighbor or friend or someone here who doesn't have a Bible, specifically a King James Version Bible, would you share your Bible with them so they're right with us during the study today? I encourage you this evening to be back tonight at 515 for our evening service. I'm looking forward to a new series that I actually uh, unofficially launched last week. We are looking at a section of Psalms, Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, which will do you a lot of good. It's called, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, kind of just going with our theme this year of going forward, I've entitled this theme, I'm Going Higher. And uh, you'll see that tonight and this evening. This evening's message is something different. Uh, I've never heard anyone preach on it, but I'm going to preach on it tonight. Dwelling in the Tents of Kedar. And you want to find out what that's all about. Where is Kedar? And what is Kedar? What does it mean to dwell in the Tents of Kedar? And we want to be here tonight just to let the Lord speak to our hearts and encourage us much. And if you're going through some uh, tough times in your life right now, this, this is a good time to be part of that series on Sunday nights and encourage you. Then I'm going to tell you some things about our missions conference coming up uh, at the end of August. We're excited about that, and we're just going to do everything we can to get our church really uh, on fire for that and ready. You're going to be encouraged much by that. And then next week, starting Wednesday, we are doing our assembly of the Johns and Romans. Many of you have signed up for it, and we are looking forward to a just round the clock from Wednesday through Saturday, just a wonderful, wonderful time of people just coming together and helping assemble uh, thousands of Johns and Romans. So the main auditorium you come here Wednesday night, it's going to be set up for all assembly there. You probably saw on the way in a big trailer there, and the representative for Bearing Precious Sea dropped off the trailer with all the supplies and things. He'll be back on Tuesday to help us unload all that, and then we're going to get everything set up and, and prepare for people to get part, be a part of that. You can still help out. Please let us know if you can as soon as possible what segment of time you can help out. That would be a blessing. And many other things we'll be sharing with you tonight over the next several weeks to help encourage you in the Lord and build us up in the Word of Grace. All right. Are you in John chapter 14? Say amen. All right. How many glad you're in church today? Amen. Are you happy this morning? Amen. Amen. That sounds like only Brother Eugene and Nicole are happy. Are you happy this morning? Amen. Amen. All right. That's good. Are you happy this morning? Amen. Amen. All right. You better because look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Amen. <laughs> Let's listen to the scriptures. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Incorrect versions of the Bible say many rooms. There's a difference between rooms and mansions. The actual meaning is dwelling places. That's a mansion. Amen? The King James, the King James translators, God was leading them. They knew exactly what to translate there. And Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, Thomas, notice verse 5. Thomas is known as Downey Thomas. He had a lot of questions. Good to have questions, but at some point in time, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. Amen? And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And notice verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Father, today we rejoice that this is the day that you've made. We rejoice that we're saved. We rejoice that, God, that this is the, this is the Lord's day. We rejoice that, God, you're on the throne Rejoice because the Apostle Paul told us to rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Father, I pray this morning you'd give us a spirit of rejoicing and just thankfulness that we can rejoice in God's Word. We can rejoice where you've placed us. We can rejoice in what you're doing in our lives. And this morning as we've read some very familiar and very precious verses of Scripture, I pray that you'd comfort our hearts. I pray that, Lord, you'd give us confidence and faith, increase our faith this morning, we pray that, God, you give meaning to these verses, especially for many who perhaps are struggling today, and perhaps many who are feeling what Jesus said. They have troubled hearts that need to hear from God. 
Father, this morning we know there are many kinds of hearts, and we pray today that there be good hearts and good soil upon which the Word of God will fall upon. Deliver us from wicked hearts. Deliver us, God, from hardened hearts and callous hearts. God, help us this morning to have tender hearts and hearts that would receive with meekness the engrafted Word which is able to save souls. Lord, we ask that you center our thoughts upon you and work in our lives that uh, today that we would make very solid decisions for our faith and for the weeks to come. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Watch you see a video this morning about the heart for just a moment. Your heart is a pump. It's a muscular organ about the size of your fist and is located slightly left of center in your chest. Your heart is divided into the right and left side. The division protects oxygen-rich blood from mixing with oxygen-poor blood. Together, your heart and blood vessels comprise your cardiovascular system, which circulates blood and oxygen around your body. In fact, your heart pumps about 5 quarts of blood every minute, and it beats about 100,000 times in one day. That's about 35 million times in a year. Oxygen-poor blood, blue blood, returns to the heart after circulating through your body. The right side of the heart, composed of the right atrium and ventricle, collects and pumps the blood to the lungs through the pulmonary arteries. The lungs refresh the blood with a new supply of oxygen, making it turn red. Oxygen-rich blood, red blood, then enters the left side of the heart, composed of the left atrium and ventricle, and is pumped through the aorta to the body to supply tissues with oxygen. Four valves within your heart keep your blood moving the right way the tricuspid, mitral, pulmonary, and aortic valves work like gates on a fence. They open only one way and only when pushed on. Each valve opens and closes once per heartbeat or about once every second. A beating heart contracts and relaxes. Contraction is called systole and relaxing is called diastole. During systole your ventricles contract forcing blood into the vessels going to your lungs and body, much like ketchup being forced out of a squeeze bottle. The right ventricle contracts a little bit before the left ventricle does. Your ventricles then relax during diastole and are filled with blood coming from the upper chambers, the left and right atria. Then the cycle starts over again. Your heart is nourished by blood too, Blood vessels, called coronary arteries, extend over the surface of your heart and branch into smaller capillaries. Here you can see just the network of blood vessels that feed your heart with oxygen-rich blood. Your heart also has electrical wiring, which keeps it beating. Electrical impulses begin high in the right atrium and travel through specialized pathways to the ventricles, delivering the signal to pump. The conduction system keeps your heart beating in a coordinated and normal rhythm, which in turn keeps blood circulating. The continuous exchange of oxygen-rich blood with oxygen-poor blood is what keeps you alive. As we all know, the heart is a very important organ of the body. As we saw in the video this morning, it pumps blood throughout your body. You need that blood to flow through your body gives you oxygen and things of that nature. And as we get older, we emphasize the importance of healthy hearts. They say about 610,000 people die of heart disease in the United States every year. It's one out of four people here in our country. They say that every year about 735,000 Americans have a heart attack. Of these, 525,000 are first heart attack, and 210,000 happen in people who have already had a heart attack. This morning we're looking at the truth about the heart, not the physical heart, though that's a very intriguing subject as we saw, but about the spiritual heart. The spiritual heart is referring to that center and seat of emotions of the spiritual life, the soul and mind as a fountain and sea of our thoughts, our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, and our endeavors. This morning we are looking at the truth about the heart. Jesus Christ said, let not your heart be troubled. A troubled heart physically is not a good one. If you have intermittent heartbeats, if your heartbeat is not regular, 
if your blood is not pumping, if you have a mitral valve prolapse, if you have any of those things, if you have a clogged artery, as you know, those are very serious things that you need to give immediate attention to. In a spiritual sense, that we can have troubled hearts. We can, in a sense, have feel uh, the, the, uh, the, the, our hearts palpitations inside of us because of troubles and anxieties. This morning, just as the day was getting on, just to, I've had two church members already just share some burdens with me, heavy on their hearts. And our Lord Jesus Christ, on the eve there before he would be betrayed and crucified, spoke there after dinner, after Passover supper with his disciples, and he said to them words that are very comforting. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Some of them there had hearts that were overflowing with trouble and concern. And so today we want to see what the Lord Jesus Christ has to say to us from John chapter 14 about troubled hearts. And I want us to see the cure for troubled hearts. What you notice first of all this morning, the sickness of a troubled heart. The sickness in a troubled heart. There was trouble in the hearts of the disciples. First of all, in our, in our discourse here, going back to last week, Jesus spoke to them very soberly about the fact that his hour was come. Would you go back with me to chapter 13 and verse 1, just as a review of that. In chapter 13, verse 1, our Lord said this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus, in knowing his hour was come, knew that the time in which uh, his appointed time in which he would die for the sins of all the world, where he would be crucified on a cross and shed his blood for our sins, was about near. He knew his hour was come. He had told his disciples about this. He had prepared them. But everything he said just didn't seem to register with them. And they were much troubled in their hearts that Jesus spoke about his hour was coming. Then secondly, Jesus told them in chapter 13, something we'll, we'll see in another message sometime. Jesus told them that there was one man among them who would turn and betray Jesus on that night. And of course, they, they couldn't comprehend that. How could anyone here in this group betray our Lord Jesus Christ? How could someone do something so treacherous and turn heel on him? And so they were very troubled. They said, who is that? You know, a troubled heart is a heart that is sick. A troubled heart is one that is bothered. A troubled heart is one that is in need of repair. And we see the sickness of a troubled heart. Notice, if you would, the, what causes this sickness. Notice, first of all, if you notice some verses I want to give you today. Stress causes sickness. Stress causes the sickness of a troubled heart. In Psalms 25, verse 17, David said this, The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. In Psalms 40, verse 12, the psalmist said this, again being David, For innumerable evils have compassed me about, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart faileth me. The psalmist, David, is talking about troubles in his heart. Not just the physical heart, but he's talking about his spiritual life. He's feeling troubled, overwhelmed. He said in Psalm 55, verse 4, My heart is sore pained within me, and the tears of death are fallen upon me. Brother and sister in Christ, a troubled heart is a reality. Brother and sister in Christ, Fender, today, you will have anxiety. You will have fears. You will have worries. You will have attacks. You'll have situations that will be over your head. Notice what the, what the writer Solomon said in the book of Proverbs. He said in Proverbs 12, 25, heaviness in the heart maketh it to stoop. In other words, when heaviness is so great and the burden is so great, we feel like we're just bent over. We're, we're crushed by the weight that we're carrying. He says, heaviness in the heart maketh it to stoop. Proverbs 15, 13 says, by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is, is broken. Everyone has a troubled heart at one time or another. It may come from, as I said earlier, from anxiety or from worry. It might come from fear. It might come from depression. It might come from the loss of a job or a loved one. It may come from a bad, bad health diagnosis. It may come from something that you were not prepared for, just out of the blues, or something comes and takes you by surprise. It comes from the uncertainties of life. It may come from a sickening and disabling condition. It may come from financial pressures. It may come from rejection. It may come from bitterness. It may come from family trouble. It may come from job pressures. It may come from performance pressures. Whatever it may be, there is the sickness of a troubled heart. The Swedes have a proverb. They said this, worry pulls tomorrow's clouds over today's sunshine. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Someone 
Someone said this anonymously. Worry is fierce extravagance. It extracts interest on troubles before it comes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face our daily problems and to fulfill our many responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste. Listen, a troubled heart is a sickened heart. It has sickness within it. It's caused by stress. But notice, secondly, the sickened heart is also caused by sin. Sin causes a troubled heart. Stress causes a, tr- a troubled heart. Notice how sin results in a troubled heart. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus said this about our heart. He gave a diagnosis about the spiritual heart of man. He said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 35, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. And then later on, Jesus said this in Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19, But those things which proceed out of the mouth... Come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Oh, beloved, this morning, stress leads to a troubled heart, but sin leads to a troubled heart. We all have sin. We all have a wicked heart. We all have evil within us. Even the best among us have a heart that's wicked. Notice again what Jesus said, out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies. In Proverbs six eighteen, Solomon said this, a sinful heart devises a wicked imaginations. In John thirteen twenty seven, the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. Judas had a very sinful heart. It was a heart filled and overflowing with sin. Sin in the heart leaves us under its control. Sin in the heart is defiling and corrupting. Sin in the heart will lead to other sins. Sin in the heart, as it begins with the root of bitterness, can lead to wrath and to anger and to malice and clamor and evil speaking. Sin in the heart breaks our fellowship with God. Sin in the heart leads to other sins. Sin in the heart inhibits us from answered prayer. Sin in the heart clouds our judgment. Sin in the heart makes us restless. Sin in the heart sends an unsaved person to hell. Sin in the heart heart makes a Christian who's well spiritually sick. Sin in the heart has fatal consequences. The Bible says for the wages of sin is death. Oh, this morning, I'm bound to be careful that we don't become our own doctors, but I do want to tell you this morning, stress leads to a troubled heart. Sin leads to a troubled heart. Do you have stress this morning? Has it overwhelmed you? Has it taken control of your thoughts? Are you at a place where you cannot have rest day in and day out? Are you at a place right now that you know that your fellowship with God is not as close as it used to be? That you really realize that your prayers are not being answered. You realize the problems are bigger. You feel like problems are bigger than God. You feel like the sin has overcome you. May I say to you this morning, Jesus was speaking to a, a large category of people, just like you and I. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Sin in the heart is terrible. Someone said this, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd stray. And sin will leave you so lost, you think you'll never find your way. Sin will keep you longer than you ever thought you'd stay. And sin will cost you more than you ever thought thought you'd pay. Sin is sickness and trouble of the heart. Oh, beloved, this morning, there's sickness when there's a troubled heart. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. But notice, secondly, we not only see the sickness, but you notice, secondly, the solution. Jesus gives us the solution for a troubled heart. Now, aren't you glad today Jesus is the greatest physician there ever was? Aren't you glad about today? Aren't you glad today that you can go to Dr. Jesus and you don't have to wait one hour to get your appointment? He's there at any time. And aren't you glad that Dr. Jesus is there? He is your urgent care doctor at any moment, any time. And aren't you glad that when you go to the ER for Jesus, he's the one to greet you there and not somebody else who has to ask you for all the information and give you a wristband and make you wait in the triage for six hours. And by that time you feel like either I'm going to die or I'm just going to walk out and go home. Amen. You know, and aren't you glad Dr. Jesus is there for your troubles? And aren't you glad Dr. Jesus is there for your depression? Aren't you glad Dr. Jesus is there for your anxiety? Aren't you glad Dr. Jesus is there? If you're struggling with some type of sin in your life, Jesus is there to meet you because the solution is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. These men's hearts were troubled. I mean, these are strong, rugged men. We're talking about fishermen. We're talking about one that was a publican. We're talking about learned men. 
One was a zealot. He was a very zealous individual. We're talking about some men that were ignorant and some men that were educated. It didn't matter. All of them were troubled in their heart. Jesus looked after that dinner and he saw the expressions on their faces, their concern, the anxieties. By the way, Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart when we're burdened and overwhelmed. Here's what Jesus said to them. He didn't go into discourse and tell them everything they needed to know about a troubled heart. They knew they had a troubled heart. And by the way, you know you have a troubled heart. You know when your heart's heavy. You know when your heart is stooping. You know when your heart is wounded. You know when your heart knows its own bitterness, as the Bible says. Here's what Jesus said. The solution is in verse 1. You believe in God. Now, thank God if you believe in the Lord. Amen? Believe in God. But he said it's not enough just to believe in God. You must believe also in him. He had a significant truth he's going to teach us in this passage. One little phrase, Jesus takes them back to everything he had done. He emphasized to them that he's all-powerful. He emphasized to them that he's in control. He emphasized to them, he said, you believe in God, you can believe also in me. He said he was emphasizing, you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus for your future. You can trust Jesus for all your fears. You can trust Jesus for your parents' salvation. You can trust Jesus for, the, for tomorrow's cure. You can trust Jesus for the decisions you need to make. You can trust Jesus, though you might even feel like you're going to be homeless. You can trust Jesus to see you through. You can trust Jesus, though you might be like the widow woman down to her very last morsel where she said all I've got is a handful of meal and a a cruise of oil. Listen, you can trust Jesus for the next day's food. You can trust Jesus for your strength. You can trust Jesus for your power. You can trust Jesus for your peace. Hey, think with me today. I think of a nobleman who had all the money and had all the servants. We had a little boy that was at the point of death, the Bible says, and he made a journey from Capernaum all the way to Cana of Galilee. He walked by foot to get to Jesus, and he said, Sir, come down ere my son die. And Jesus said, Well, what if I don't go? He said, Sir, I believe that you can do it. I believe you can heal myself. You just speak the word. That man believed. He didn't just believe in God. He believed also in Jesus Christ. I think about a woman in Samaria there that she was so forsaken. Her heart was troubled. She went at the middle of the day to get her water because she didn't want anybody to see her. She had such a troubled heart. She was troubled by the stress that she, she was to reject. She was rejected by the city, the people of Sychar. She had been used by the men of Sychar. And when Jesus confronted her about her issue, he said, go and call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you have rightly said, because thou hast had five husbands. Her sin found her out. She was heavy because of her despair. She was heavy because of her sin. And yet in spite of all that, she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And as soon as she did that, the burden was lifted and the dark clouds were removed and she went back to the city and she told all those men who had used her and all those men who had abused her and all the city who thought she was a loser. She said, hey, come see a man which told me all the things whichever I did. Hey, that woman believed in Jesus Christ. I think about a woman who had an issue of blood. She was in those situations. You ever watch those commercials sometimes? They talk about these new medical breakthroughs. They talk about this medication that could help your situation and then they put in a small print, beware of all these side effects that it could do. And you read that and you kind of think, well, sounds like the side effects are worse than the medicine. The side effects might kill me, amen, you know? And they tell you about all these medicines. They tell you all about these cures and things. But the reality is, when you're the person that has that illness, you're the person that has that physical condition, and the worst thing you want to hear is the doctor saying, we've done all we can. There's nothing more we can do to help you. And that woman, there's a woman, she was hemorrhaging. She had a terrible time in her, in her body there, and she was weakening. And not only was she weakening, but she was very anemic, and she was weak, and, and she was at a place where, uh, from the Jewish standpoint, she was considered an unclean person because of her illness. And so society didn't want her. And men didn't want to be around her. And women didn't want to be around her. And this woman lived kind of all by herself. And so she said, you know, I've got just a little bit of savings. And she went to all the doctors she could. She looked up every specialist, every doctor, every person that said, I can deal with your illness. And the Bible says she spent all she had and she was none the better. Listen, this woman learned. She tried to trust in doctors and she tried to trust in medicine and she tried to trust in old wise fables and none of that did her good. And then along the way, someone got her word. Somehow somebody said, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through our city. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I'll be well. And the Bible says she came up behind him. Hey, listen, that woman believed in God, but she believed also in Jesus. Amen. And she grabbed the back of his garment. And she touched him and she did so. The Bible says she felt the issue of blood dried up. She was healed and she was cured. And Jesus called her forth and she came out and she gave evidence of her faith. Oh, what great faith this woman had in Jesus. She had never met him before. She didn't know all about him except what she heard about him. She just came and she touched the hem of his garment. He believed in God. 
believe also me. Listen, the solution for your need today is not to believe what the doctor says necessarily, and not to believe what the media says necessarily, and not to believe what your best friend tells you necessarily, and not to believe what your cultural traditions tell you necessarily. We've got to come back to the place of getting back to the Word of God and realizing this morning, you believe in God, believe also in Jesus Christ for your need this morning. Oh, have faith in Jesus. Have faith that He's God. Have faith that He's your Creator. Have faith He's the God of salvation. Have faith that He's the God of all comfort. Have faith that He's the shepherd of your soul. Have faith that He's the Lord who heals. Have faith in righteousness. I'm going to tell you this morning, you look at all the sins and the crimes that go around our world, and it makes you discouraged and wonder, can the police do something about it? Can law enforcement do something about it? What can happen there? Well, listen, they may not be able to solve all that, but I can get my eyes off the problem, and I can get my eyes off the sin, and I can get my eyes off the unrighteousness, and get my eyes on Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and realize he's all holy, and he's all righteous, and I can realize when I look to him, I can say like the angels that surround the throne of heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm telling you this morning, you might believe in God. Believe also me, Jesus Christ said. I think about the thief on the cross this morning, that man who had, who derided Jesus and reviled him and rebuked him, said all kinds of nasty, foul things about him. He said things with the other thief. If, there, if you're God, come off that cross. And then that man got to the three o'clock hour and he watched Jesus from 12 to three as darkness covered the earth. He watched the son of God suffer and groan and he watched the pain and he watched as he listened as the blood was flowing out of the body of the precious son of God dying for his sins. That man came to the realization, this has got to be the son of God. This has got to be the Jesus they talked about. And he said there at three o'clock in the afternoon before the Romans would come, and break that man's legs so that he could not support himself any longer and that his, the weight of his chest would crush his lungs and that he would not be able to breathe any longer. That man knew that he was just, he was just a step between him and death. And he said, Jesus, he said, Lord, he said, when you're in paradise, would you remember me? And that man was believing at that moment. He put all his faith while he's hanging on that cross. He put all his faith and trust and dependence on the only one that could save his soul from sin, the only one that could keep him from going to hell. He put his faith and trust in Jesus to save him. He said, Lord, remember we... When, you are in, when thou art in paradise. And Jesus said to him, he gave him words of comfort that lifted that troubled heart. He said, sir, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can I give you some assurance this morning? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today you'll be in paradise with him. You don't have to have any doubts and don't have to have any fears. You don't have to have any worries. Am I saved or not? Listen, if you can point to the place and time, you've called on the name of the Lord to save you. You're saved. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say, to you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. He said this, he says, shall he shall not see condemnation, but is passed from death to life. John, the apostle John said this, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He said, he that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. I thank the, I thank the Lord this morning that he gave us Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. Listen, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved once and for all. You don't have to have any doubts. You don't have to have any fear. You don't have to be like some religious teach. You, got, you get saved and then you can lose your salvation. Hey, I got good news for you. You don't lose what is the gift of God. Once you're saved, you're always saved this morning. So Jesus, he's talking to them and he talks to them, notice in verses 1 to 6, he's giving them comfort. He stares them off looking at their temporal place here on earth and gets them looking at their eternal place in heaven. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. When you get discouraged, get your eyes on heaven. Get your eyes looking on Jesus. As we scroll down, he talks about coming again for them. As we scroll down, he talks about, in verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. And he made a remarkable statement in verse 4. Did you notice that? And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, I've told you everything you need to know. I told you where I'm going, and I've told you the way to get there. So Philip's just being transparent. Philip, Philip is just being, being a kind of what I call a, a typical church member. He just says, Lord, now, he says, Lord, I know you've told us this, but I'm not really sure I know. <laughs> and he said, we know not, and he's speaking, he's speaking really for himself, but he's pulling all the apostles in this. He says, we know not whether thou goest. Now, he just, Jesus told him, I'm going, to, I'm going to go back to be with the Father. Where are you going, Jesus? And it's kind of like, like someone telling you abruptly, hey, i got to tell you, I'm moving away. And you're saying, what? 
We've had several families this past year that have just moved away. I'm thinking one just moved up to Oregon that we led to Christ. And I'm thinking about another family that moved back east to Tennessee. And I'm thinking about another family that moved to Southern California. And they were great families. We love them. And I think of another family here this morning, which we'll acknowledge tonight, that is going to relocate back to a foreign country. And I'll tell you as a pastor, I hate to lose members that way. I hate to see them move away and so forth like that. And when they, when they first told me, I said, you're not going. I said, I said, what can I do to keep you from going? You know? And they, they said, well, you can't, pastor. It's just it's what, what's going to happen here. And, you know, it's... When you hear news like that, it, it, it's startling to you. When someone tells you they're going to leave, that you love, they're going to leave, they're leaving, they're going to go away. It just startles you and it grips you by your heart. You wonder, why are you leaving? And so notice that that's how Philip felt, Thomas felt at that moment. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. And how can we know the way? He says, Lord, Lord, wherever you're going, we're not sure where it is. And how do we get there? And Jesus made an important statement in verse 6. Would you notice this? Especially if you're a new Christian or Christian who's not very strong in the word of God yet. I want you to notice verse 6. Because Jesus tells us in this the steps and the solution for a troubled heart. Jesus saith unto him to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we wrapped it around verse 1 where Jesus said, You believe in God, believe also in me. We must believe what he just said in verse 6. We must have an unwavering faith that what he said is true. And what he said is that he's not going to change his mind about it. And he's not going to change his mind on it. He said, you must believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You believe in God, but believe also me. You must believe that. So this morning, would you notice in the solution, Jesus Christ is the restricted direction. He said, I am the way, the restricted direction. Now, the way means the only road the only pathway. His proclamation made it very clear there is no other way to heaven except through him. There is no other way to God the Father except through him. Now please listen this morning. I believe there are many religions today that are very sincere. I believe there are many religions today that uh, perhaps in their way are, 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 have, have, have just told people, well, you've got to go through this man or you've got to go through this and that. And Jesus is making very clear religion is not the pathway to him. You've got to go through Jesus to get to God the Father. Okay? Religion is not going to get you there. Going through a set of rites and ceremonies are not going to get you there. The only way to heaven, the only way to God the Father is through Jesus Christ. His proclamation was refuting what we call today pluralism. Now, pluralism is very prominent, especially in our educational system, our public educational system, and our secular world today, because pluralism says all roads lead to God. All roads lead to heaven. And I want to refute that this morning from the Word of God. You might get angry with me, and you come see me later on about this. But what Jesus is saying here, he's saying all roads don't lead to God. Only one road leads to God. All roads don't lead to him. And we'll get into another study a little bit later on. And I've got a Wednesday night coming up where I'm going to have, have some of my staff guys teach you guys things about what do, what, what, what is, what is, what do the Muslims really believe and what, what, do, what do the Catholics really believe and what do the Jehovah Witnesses really believe and what do the Mormons really believe so that you can have an understanding about some of these things here and, uh, and to understand why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. By the way, when Jesus said that, he wasn't giving an option. He was giving, an, he, was making, um, uh, he was making a very, very, he was making a statement that was mandated. He says, I am the way. He says, there's no other way. And he's saying here, listen, pluralism is not the way. Whatever roads you're talking about, that's not the way. The only way a sinner can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. His proclamation refutes that there is a broad way to heaven. There is no broad way to heaven. There is a narrow way to heaven. That narrow way is through Jesus Christ. He's saying, and now, now you say, well, pastor, that sounds very elitist. It sounds like he's being very elitist. No, Jesus is not being elitist. Jesus is being exclusive. There's an exclusiveness. It's only through Jesus Christ. He's not being elitist. He's being exclusive. You see, materialism says, buy your way out. The politician says, legislate your way out. The army says, fight your way out. Religion and industry says, work your way out. The philosopher says, think your way out. But Jesus said, there's no way out but through me. He said, I am the way. He's the restricted direction. A, a, uh, a man was, was traveling, actually a missionary, and he went through one of those single-engine planes. He was traveling through Africa of all places. It's a true story, and his, his plane had to make an abrupt landing, and they, they did so, and, and he tried to find his way back to where he was going because they ran out of fuel, and they made a successful landing there, and, and so he came. He was starting to go through this, this pathway, and then he just hit all bushes everywhere, and he just didn't know where to go. He was like a dead end, and so he's, he's cutting his way through. He took his machete out. was cutting his way through, and he came to a hut, and he thought, well, maybe the, there's somebody that lives here that can tell me what's going on. I hope the man's here, and he went to the hut, and, and happened to be in the area. He could speak the language of the people there, and he spoke the language of the people there, and, and it 
come to find out that the man that lived in that hut understood him and they spoke with each other and the man understood a little bit of English there as well. And so he told the man, he said, listen, I'm a missionary. I preach the gospel. I'll show you my Bibles. Here's some tracts. I minister to people like you. And he says, I'm trying to find my way out of here. I don't know where I'm at. Can you lead me out? And the man just smiled on his face and said, yes, sir, I can lead you out. I can get you out of here. And so that man reached into his hut and grabbed his machete and the two of them started cutting away through bush country. They're just cutting away and cutting away. They're going through all kinds of stuff there. And after a long period of time, after cutting vines and grasses, the, the, the missionary got very worried. And he said to the man, he stopped and put his hand on the shoulder. He said, sir, are you sure this is the way? Are you sure this is the way? I don't see any path. I mean, we're just cutting through things. Everything looks dense and looks dark. And I'm not sure there's a way. Are you sure this is the way? He said, are you sure this is the way to go? I don't see any path. And the man smiled. And as he looked at me, he said, sir, in this place, there is no path. I am the path. And I remind you today, Jesus Christ is the path. He is the way. He's not, he's not just the road. He's the way to heaven. He's the way to God. He emphatically and exclusively tells us he is the way. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, if you think there's another way to heaven, I'm going to tell you there's a bunch of requirements with that way. The way to heaven through Jesus Christ is by faith alone in him. Jesus is the restricted direction. You must go through Jesus. He is the way. Now, notice Jesus Christ no needs the restricted direction, which you notice in this same verse, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. He's not counterfeit, amen? He's not a fake. He's not a fraud. I read yesterday in the news how uh, a lady that was working at a subway, subway sandwich shop, they, she was given a large bill by a customer, and, and, the, and, uh, and her, the protocol for that particular, uh, particular uh, franchise or, or that, 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 that sandwich place was that basically you have to put it under a machine to scan it and make sure it's not counterfeit. And the customer was not very happy that she did that. And uh, as, he, as she did so, she saw it was, it was a real deal, and she gave, it, she gave him back his change. Hey, listen, this morning, you want to know what you believe in is the real deal. You want to know what you have is the real deal. You don't want to be following, you don't want to be following a bunch of people just because somebody else did. It needs to be your own personal faith. That's why Jesus Christ said, you believe in God, believe also in me. Hey, there's a lot of people that believe because somebody else believed. And a lot of people believe because mama believed and papa believed or the pastor believed. Listen, it must be your own personal faith that you put in Jesus Christ alone. You believe in God. You believe also in me. And so notice Jesus is the real deal. In verse 6, he said, not only am I the way, he said, I am the truth. You write this down about truth. Truth is absolute. There's no error in truth. There's no falsity in truth. Do you like to be lied to or do you like to hear the truth? Right? I mean, you want to hear the truth. Truth is authentic. Truth is what is real. There's nothing marginal about truth. It is what it is. Hey, truth can be blunt. Truth is what we need to hear. Truth is righteousness. Truth is factual. Truth is infallible. Hey, Jesus Christ is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No wonder we read in John 1.14, it says he was full of grace and truth. He's truth. He's the real deal. Jesus is not a fake, and Jesus is not a liar, and Jesus is not a fraud, and Jesus was not just another teacher, and Jesus was not just another prophet, and Jesus was not just another personality. Jesus is the Son of God who is truth. He's absolute. He's real. He's infallible. I'm glad this morning that when I think about truth, there is no sin in Jesus Christ. He did not sin when he entered in this world because he came in this world as God. He's truth. I'm thankful this morning that truth, Jesus Christ, does not lie. The Bible says in Hebrews 6.18 that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Aren't you glad about that this morning, God doesn't lie? I mean, I'm going to tell you this morning, if this book is not true, then we, we, we've, lived, we've been believing a lie for many, many years. But I'm going to tell you, it's true. It's truth. Hey, the Word of God is truth. Because Jesus is all truth. God never failed. That's why, that's why as, as independent, independent Baptist churches like ours, we, we pre, make an emphasis on the preaching of the Word of God. And we, we encourage you and exhort you and admonish you. You need to be in church, not less but more. You need to be in church to hear the truth. Why? Because we, you think of the cumulative, cumulative number of minutes a week. We listen to the media. We read the media. We hear all these different things. We hear, say, gossip and say fables. We hear more about the junk going outside, which we don't really know if any of it's true. And we listen to all these attacks on different people. And what we we really need to do is get back to church and get under the word of God and hear the truth of God's word for our life. Amen? God doesn't lie. It's truth. Jesus can be trusted completely. 
It is truth that Jesus is God. It is truth that Jesus died for your sins and mine. It is truth that he shed his blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. It is truth that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would take away the sins of the world. It is truth that Jesus was God, manifest in the flesh. It is truth that Jesus is eternal and from everlasting to everlasting. It is truth that Jesus is without sin. It is truth that Jesus and the Father are one. They're co-eternal, co-essential, and co-existent. It is truth that, de- that Jesus did pay the sin debt for every sinner in full. It is the truth that Jesus rose again from the dead. Hey, it's the truth that Jesus is coming again. He said in these very verses, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. It's the truth that Jesus will receive in heaven all those who put their faith and trust in him. It's the truth that Jesus Christ is truth, that only Jesus can save you from your sins. Would you listen this morning? Jesus Christ is not an alternative concept. He is the truth. Jesus Christ is not another religious leader. He's the truth. Jesus Christ was just not another man. Listen, he's the God-man this morning. He's all truth for you and I today. As truth, he is timeless. As truth, he is powerful. As truth, he can save your soul. As truth, he answers your prayer. As truth, he's the real deal. Would you notice in John chapter 14, some of the truisms Jesus said. Notice in verse 12 to 14, he said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, that will I do. Notice in verse 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live and ye shall live also. Listen, we read all those red letter words there in the gospel of John and that is all truth. It's truth. Jesus is the real deal. And so Jesus said you must believe that he's the restricted direction and you must believe that Jesus is the real deal, but you must believe that Jesus is your rewarding destiny. Look at verse 6 again. I am the way. The direction's restricted. I am the truth. I am the truth. He's the real deal. But he said, I am the life. Sometimes we'll say, I got my life back again. Let me tell you this morning, you find your life in Jesus Christ. Real living begins when Christ is your Savior. Now, there's some things he said in John 14, the first three verses about being the life. The life he's speaking there is the life he offers to every person to know for sure that heaven is their home. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about his father's house. That's heaven there. And so would you notice some things he teaches us about heaven? Notice first of all, verse 2, he talks about the residence of heaven. Heaven's a home. By the way, it's a home that we all, we get a clear deed of trust when we get there. Amen. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. You know, there's a mansion he sets aside for you. Heaven is a place of residence. Heaven's referred to as God's house. It's a comfort. It's a place we go back to. You know, sometimes children just like to go back home and to be with their parents. They may, not, they may have moved away, but there's something comforting coming back home. There's some precious memories of having lived in that home. And Jesus speaks about heaven being a residence. It has many mansions or dwelling places. Notice something else. He speaks about the requirements of heaven. You go back to John chapter 3, and he said this. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is heaven. He said, except a man be born again. The requirement into heaven is through Jesus Christ. The requirement to heaven is a spiritual birth. That spiritual birth is a result of a working of the word of God and a working of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, this morning, you're hearing God's word. God's word is being embedded in your heart. It's a precious seed. It's trying to find its way into the soil of your heart. And as the seed finds its way, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and my heart. He's working your heart to believe. He's placing conviction in your heart that you might believe and helping to realize that today that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, that today you need to make a decision for God. And so we see the requirements of heaven are that, that there's no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. The requirement is we must experience a spiritual birth. Listen, you might be born once in this world physically, but if that's all you have, is a physical birth, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, and you're going to die spiritually. But listen, when you have two births, you have the physical birth, where you're born into this life, but you have the second birth, which is essential. The second birth is being born again. He says, when you're born twice, you only die once. You say, what do you mean by that? When you're born again, listen, you just, you're just taking a leap shot from here to heaven, because for me to live is Christ, and to die is game. Death for the believer is to be absent from the body, but to be present with the Lord. And death for the believer is a graduation to the very 
presence of God. And death for the believer is receiving our inheritance that God has laid aside for us. I'm saying to you this morning, we have the requirements of heaven. Hey, are you born again? Or do you know for sure you're saved? Have you come the blood sprinkled way through Jesus Christ? If you're not, if you're trying to go some other way, that is not the way because Christ said, I am the life. He's your rewarding destiny when you put your faith in him. He speaks about the residence of heaven, the requirements of heaven. But notice, he speaks about the readying for heaven. That's great. I go to prepare a place for you. Just take, your, take the word you and put your name there. I go to prepare a place for you. He's getting it ready. It's time to go to heaven. Everything be prepared, ready to go. But notice he says something else. He not only speaks about the reading for heaven, but you notice he speaks about the residents in heaven. Who are the people in heaven? I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you read Hebrews chapter 12, it tells about some of those people are. But notice right here in our passage, he speaks about it. He said that where I am, there you may be also. And who's in heaven? God's in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. Holy Spirit's in heaven. Hey, praise God, I'm going to be in heaven. Are you going to be in heaven? All who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for the salvation will be there. Will you be there? He's the life. Hey, listen, Jesus this morning gives us a solution for a sick and heart. He gives a solution for the troubles of our soul. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And what must we believe? Well, Thomas came and said to him, Lord, where are you going? And we don't know where you're going. And show us the way. And Jesus said to Thomas, he said, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Hey, listen, the solution this morning for a sick and heart, a troubled soul, is realizing Jesus not only is your doctor, but Jesus is your destiny, and Jesus is your direction. And listen, Jesus is the real deal. Would you put your faith and trust in him today to save you from your sins? And as we close this morning, would you notice Jesus not only tells us about the sickness, troubled hearts, and Jesus not only tells us about the solution, that he's the way, the truth, the life, would you notice Jesus gives us a summons? Look at verse 6 again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then notice this next phrase. No man. That's kind of interesting. That's, that's making me very restricted. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now the word come is strongly a word of summons. It's not just an invitation. He's compelling us to come. You know, when you have little children running around and you don't want them wandering off somewhere. You say, hey, come here. You have animals that, you know, pet animals like a dog or cat or whatever maybe, and they're, they're kind of running around. You say, hey, come here. Or maybe you're talking to somebody at a distance and, and you're, you're trying to get their attention. You say, hey, over here, come over here. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He says, no man cometh. Listen, coming to him is a summons. It's a summons by God. He's saying, come. Listen to what he said in Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16. He said, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is the thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Listen, the spirit of God and the church and Jesus are saying, come. Listen, today, if you're not sure you're saved, you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, he invites you today. He summons you today to come. If you've only gone through the motions and you've pretended that you're saved but in reality you're not saved because you believe because somebody else believed or you prayed because somebody else prayed you must remember today that Christ said you believe in God believe also in me you need to come today you need to come to Jesus you need to come to him as the way and come to him as being the truth and come to him as the life and you must come with faith and believe that he's the way there's that invitation there's a summons to come and listen notice in verse 6 he says something else you, not, you cannot come to God except through Jesus A lot of times we try to solve our problems, our heartaches, through a lot of different channels. And a lot of well-meaning people will try this prescription, or try this remedy, or try doing this, or try doing that. And everybody's well-meaning. Everybody's well-meaning. When the sickness of stress, and the sickness of sin troubles our heart. Jesus has come. And notice in Matthew 11, verses 20, 30, he says, come unto me. Did you notice that? Come unto me. All ye that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need rest for our souls. We need rest for our minds. We need rest for our bodies. We need rest from our anxiety. We need rest from our worries. We need rest from our burdens. We need rest from our sorrow and our heartache, our disappointments and our cares. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. You know what comforts me about what he just said there in verse 29 of Matthew 11? He's telling us, listen, the yoke of the world, the, the burdens that the world gives you, the world says, well, take this yoke, and it, and it wants you to do all these things. But Jesus said, you know, I, I come to you as a servant. I come to lift your burden. I come to you meek and lowly. I come to take your place. I come to be your substitute for that. And he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to him with your heaviness. Come to him with your prayer request. In verse 13 again, he says, And whatsoever you shall ask of me, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified, the Son of Jesus. Anything in my name, that will I do for you. You must believe this morning. You must accept the summons to come and receive him. Many of you know the name of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a genius of his time. I think he's one that came up with that equation, E equals MC squared or something like that. Great physicist of the time. Honestly, he was, so, he was so intelligent. He was way beyond everybody else. He was kind of nerdy, amen? You know, he was just kind of a nerdy person. And he was, he was just one of those kind of guys who was such a genius, he just didn't pay attention to everything else going, going on in his life. And they tell the story that Albert Einstein was traveling from Princeton University on a train. The doctor came down the aisle, was collecting all the tickets from all the passengers and punching them to give acknowledgement that they were on the, on the train. And he came to Mr. Einstein. You could miss Mr. Einstein. I think any of you know who I'm talking about. You know he had that mustache and the curly wild hair there and all that. And, and uh, just you know, very, very disheveled in his dress and appearance there. He was a nice man, a very kind man. And he got to him and the conductor recognized who he was. And Mr. Einstein was fumbling around his pockets and looking everywhere, checking his pockets and everything. He said, Mr. Einstein, are you okay? He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm trying to find my ticket so you can punch it. And I, I don't know where my ticket is. And I'm trying to find my ticket right now. He says, Mr. Einstein, don't worry. He says, I know who you are. And he says, I'm going to make my rounds. I'm sure you brought the ticket, but don't worry about it. And Mr. Einstein continued to be fumbling around, looking in his pockets everywhere for the ticket. And the man came back, came back around after going through the entire train and punching tickets there. And he said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein. He says, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. He said, if you can't find it, you don't need a ticket. And Dr. Einstein looked at him with a very flustered face. He says, sir, I'm not worried about the fact I have a ticket. I'm trying to find out where I'm supposed to be going right now. Without that ticket, he didn't know where he's going. Listen, this morning, a lot of people are like that. God is giving you the ticket to heaven. That's right here, Jesus Christ. But you're fumbling around in your pocket, and you're fumbling around on the internet, you're fumbling around on, on social media, and you're fumbling around with the wrong peer groups, and you're fumbling around trying to find out what ticket's going to get me to heaven, and what way's going to get me there. I'm going to tell you today, you need to know where you're going, and if you're going trying to depend on another ticket, there's only one way to heaven, that's through God's Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. They said the city of Troy had only one entrance. And from whatever direction the travelers approach the city, they can only enter through that one legal entrance. Think about that for a minute. I'm thankful for fire cold purposes. We have more than one way in and one way out of our church. Amen? But I want to tell you, for fire cold purposes to heaven, there's only one way to heaven. And the fire cold God wants to keep you from is hellfire for everyone who dies without Christ as their Savior. Christian friend, is your heart heavy? Are you burdened? Let not your heart be troubled. Sometimes people come up to me at church and they say, Pastor, heart's heavy. Pray for my family. And I tell you this morning, he says, you believe in God. Believe also me. He can lift that troubled heart. And then today, are you like Albert Einstein? You got the ticket, but you don't know where you're going. If you're not 100% sure you're saved, it's not by good works. It's not by church. It's not by baptism. It's not giving all your money away. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He compels us to come. He gives us a summons. Come. Come. And I invite you this morning, come to Jesus today. Come to him with your burdens. Come to him to save your soul. Come to him to give you the gift of eternal life.